As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support for people like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast. covering news from the agricultural and turf grass industries. What up, what up, what up, what up? Welcome to another episode of Burn and Return. For the next hour or so, we'll see how long it ends up playing out. There's no telling these days. We got we got a lot to talk about. Uh, my name is Matt. Sometimes I go by the Grass Factor Mart. Alongside me, I have Mr. Ryan DeMay and Ray Ito. Uh, between the three of us here, we have uh, entirely too much time invested in uh, in the industry. I don't know if it's too much time, but we do have a, a metric shit ton. We were doing the math the other day, and uh, Lord have mercy, it was I was I was quite stunned 90, at uh, ninety years the way. The way the way it started adding up, I was like, "Oh boy, that uh, that got weird real quickly." Uh, but you know, here we are. We're here. We're going to talk. We like to talk. Um, and what we talk about specifically on this show are going to be the things that we see as we scroll through the headlines in our day to day lives that we think will have an impact for good, better, or worse on the uh, current state and long term viability of our industry. Uh, gentlemen, how in the hell are y'all doing? Well, Matt, you know, it's another, uh, a day of, uh, questioning, you know, our, uh, our mortality and everything like that. Thanks for putting that into perspective, you know, how much time we have, uh, invested in this and how little might be left. Right. So <laughs> I'm doing my part to, to sit here tonight, spend a little time with you guys and, you know, maybe, uh. Step on the gas pedal of life and maybe eat a bacon cheeseburger and have a milkshake later on, just for fun. Dang, that Ray. sounds good, Ryan. <laughs> that sounds good. Talk to, talk to me, Ray. Uh, on the uh, on the on the weekly death board, uh, where 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 are we standing? What what are we looking like here? <laughs> well, I think uh, I think we're doing pretty good. Uh, no real death to speak of, although. Uh, this morning, I had a little uh, desk talk with one of our members, uh, Tiffway Lawns. <laughs> you know, it happens. Uh, if anybody has uh, has been paying attention, you know, they move forward the doomsday clock. Uh, we're we're about ninety oh, really? seconds to midnight. Yep they uh, they move that forward, and uh, and of course our our big it was a hundred seconds to midnight, but since twenty twenty, but uh, you know because of the threat of nuclear war on the brink and all that uh highly optimistic stuff that we see in the headlines they went ahead yeah. and went ah we'll inch it forward another 10 seconds we'll give it 90 seconds tonight. <laughs> so uh think about that every 90 seconds that passes uh consider it a miracle and uh keep a smile on your face remain highly optimistic because there's that's when you think about that 90 seconds there's a lot of time for optimism to build up there uh <laughs> gentlemen let's check out 
Speaking of optimism, let's check out this week's headlines. I'm sure this is going to make you feel real good about yourself. Nothing to fear here. This is just the news. This is just the news. And as I suspected, boy, this is uh, this will make you feel real good about things that are going on out there. Oh, except for the fact that 30,000 gallons of hog waste from Murphy Brown Farm enters Creek in Baldwin County. Uh, The North Department of Environmental Quality, the INDEC, is investigating the discharge of an estimated 30,000 gallons of hog waste from a farm owned by Murphy Brown. According to a press release from state officials, the farm is in Bladen County, northwest of Ammon and southwest of Roseboro. It has a state permit to raise as many as 4,000 hogs. The parent company of Murphy Brown is Smithfield. Uh, And if anybody is wondering how this works, and this is going to be similar in the poultry industry, where, uh, yes, you may be an independent owner of your farm, but Smithfield dictates every single thing on your farm. They supply your pigs. They supply your feed. uh, They handle every aspect of bringing uh, that, uh, uh, that swine to production, except for the waste. That is always the clause that no one wants anything to do with. They want nothing to do with your waste. Uh, so in the poultry industry, they'll handle every aspect. They'll bring in the chickens, get out the chickens, all your genetics, all that fun stuff. But boy, oh boy, the litter, you've got to figure out what to do with on your own. Similar scenario here. Uh, operators notified the Division of Water Resources Friday evening that a recirculation pump had failed, which caused the release. Uh, INDEC did not name the waterway, but the closest ones are Turnbull Creek and Little Turnbull Creek. State investigators saw waste in the creek nearly three quarters of a mile from the farm lagoon. Uh, A beaver dam prevented the waste from traveling further. Hey, good job there. Uh, Turnbull Creek feeds the Cape Fear River about 20 miles downstream. Farm operators are pumping the waste from the creek. Uh, The state database that contains compliance, enforcement, inspection documents for all permanent hog farms was down Sunday morning, of course. So the history of this facility was not immediately available. Uh, This is one of 144 corporate-owned facilities in North Carolina. Most of the state's 2,200 hog farms are contract farms, meaning they're independently owned by Smithfield, uh, who dictates every aspect of their operation. So there we go, 30,000 gallons. Now, I I, I will say this, and let me kind of put this into uh, uh, perspective here, and I will pull up an analysis. it is not high analysis uh, material here. Um, oh, where am I? Uh, so swine finishing manure. Um, so yes, exactly. You're exactly right, Ray. It is. Uh, it is. Oh, the overwhelming majority of this is um, uh, is water. Um, so. I uh, do not see, ah, golly, somewhere, oh, uh, uh, nope, I do not see it. Okay, in 1,000 gallons of manure, 1,000 gallons of manure, you have 21 pounds of nitrogen, phosphorus, and 11 pounds of potassium. So, quick math on that. So, that's in, uh, in 1,000 pounds, right? So, uh, in 1,000 gallons, so we've got 30,000 uh, uh, gallons, so 30 times 21. 600 pounds of nitrogen, uh, you know, roughly 600 pounds of phosphorus and roughly 300 pounds of potassium. So it is a shit ton without a doubt. 
but it is not the same as like you know losing a million gallons of UAN into the Mississippi or something, right? So uh, <laughs> bad, yes, uh, but it wasn't quite Gavilon bad, and uh, and and so you know it, at least it there is this is rectifiable to an extent. Uh, boys, let me ask you this though. Um, you know, getting, putting this into perspective, especially from a mathematical standpoint and seeing that, you know, the, the amount of poundage that, that ended up making it into the waterway is not something that is going to cause widespread ecological disaster. Uh, do you see this being foundational for, uh, regulation modifications coming out of the industry or, and, or the state in general? I I highly doubt it. I mean, stuff like this happens, right? Uh, yep. Doesn't mean that it should. Doesn't mean that. Uh, but so, uh, I, here's what I feel for. I'm, I'm going to take the human side of this. You know, I'm the I'm the touchy feely one here in the group. Uh, how do you like? How'd you like to be that poor bastard that had to call up on Friday night to index to like their their line and be like, hey, yeah, so uh, that recirculating pump failed, and oh, there's a little bit of shit in the creek. Oh, how much, you know? Oh, roughly 30,000 gallons. I mean, that, that, that's not fun. That's, that's you know, nope. like calling to the police station and saying, hey, I just did like 92 in a 55. I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> that just, was me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the, the as far as regulation goes, though, I mean, that's why they're there now. Here's my question. I know that people are always trying to get rid of this. I think you've been approached multiple times, right, Matt, of people trying to lose this stuff, you know, what, what, you know, closed stream and upcycling and all this other bullshit, right? Yes, especially with pig manure. I and it's it, this is very cyclical uh, uh, with with pig manure. I will say on uh, five year intervals. Uh, people will show up with the digesters again, right? Where you know they want to mm. come install a digester, harvest the methane, and uh, and then take the uh, the methane free uh, digestate, and then recirc that back into adjacent farm fields, right? So yes, we, and that is back up on the upswing because there's a, a free money out there to get it done. Uh huh. Well, so and I guess that that'll be that'll be the thing, Ray is. Does this stuff, does it go away, and is there a better way to handle it than how it's being handled? Is there an opportunity there? I don't know enough about pig shit to be able to tell you. Yes. Nope. You know, I'm under the idea that a lot of this waste actually needs to be dehydrated, uh, incinerated, and then buried. Stop storing this shit. Plain and simple. Stop storing it. <laughs> Stop keeping it. I mean, it don't get better with age, and it sure is not better if you have, say, 50 or 100,000 gallons. Or no, in the case of a lot of these operations, here's a fun fact for you guys. A lot of these operations literally are trying to store a million or more gallons of basically what's considered raw sewage because what what's happening is that they're flushing out their hog pens and all of that wastewater goes into a holding area 
and Lord have mercy if their waste control system has a malfunction and it then proceeds to pump 30,000 gallons of liquid shit and raw sewage right into the river, okay? Yeah, look, the, I, mean, I, I think the easiest thing to point at, too, is look at the number of successful digesters in operation in the United States right now, uh, especially exactly. in this region. Exactly. It is, mm -hmm. it is hardly any. I know one, one that regularly runs. Mm -hmm. And do you know how much manure they process through this? Almost zero. Almost oh, really? zero. Yes, so the majority of what they're processing is uh, waste from, uh, it's silage from distilleries. They make more uh, money mm -hmm. on dock fees from distilleries and running that through the digester and adding small amounts of manure to maintain pH and bug populations and all that shit. They've got that down to a science. Um, and it, it works really, really well. But, you know, from the system, in this particular farmer I know that, that runs this system, uh, what he bought versus what he ends up running now, he has rebuilt that entire thing uh, to the tune of double what he his initial investment was, and uh, and is just now starting to recapture some of that money that he had invested in it, and um, and it's been a long, slow uphill battle. We've covered one of these stories before of a bladder that was uh, that was capturing methane uh failed and it failed due to sun exposure because they do not have an unlimited lifespan and when it did mm -hmm. uh you know that was a lot of concentrated methane that immediately burped to the atmosphere and then after that was the uh was the manure runoff that that ended up occurring as a result of it right oh, and that one has just gosh. completely yes. disappeared after we talked about it never could see it in a headline ever again aside from that initial report so who knows how it shook out um so anyway it's interesting keep an eye on this I can say that I have seen over the last three years one large publicly traded company uh, spin up an idea for a digester, and uh, it was with a state-of-the-art system to recirc all the digest digestate back into the surrounding fields. And uh, and once the economics really were uh, sorted out, they pulled the plug on that pro project, and uh, you know it is what it is. So. I don't know. Something to keep an eye on. I don't know what the appropriate answer is on how to handle this, but uh, you know, maybe maybe digester technology isn't there. I, maybe the finances aren't there. I don't know. But I well, I mean, bottom line is that uh, you know whoever uh, clicks the, uh, the scat and bestiality check boxes on Pornhub really probably got really excited about this article. Yes, no doubt about it. Yeah, put that one in the library, will you? Um, <laughs> the uh, speaking of, of of raising money, uh, Scythe Robotics raised forty two million dollars for autonomous electric Oof. lawnmower robot. Um, so they uh, they they've they raised forty two million dollars for its pipeline of seventy five hundred orders. That's pretty impressive. Uh, their system is the autonomous M fifty two lawnmower. Launching from stealth in June 2021, we've seen an overwhelming interest from commercial landscape contractors uh, with our mower as a solution addressing both their crippling labor pains and their uh, electrification needs. We're thrilled to expand our outstanding investor list and secure more capital to scale and meet the phenomenal demand for the M52 as we work to decarbonize the landscape industry. 
Uh, the funding comes from its Series B funding round led by uh, Energy Impact Partners uh, and features new investors of Arcturn Ventures, Alumni Ventures, and Amazon's Alexa, Alexa Fund, alongside existing uh, uh, investors, True Ventures, Inspired Capital, and more. Uh, that's one of the ones I'll look into and see what other projects these folks have in their portfolio. I'm pretty pretty interested in that. Uh, but $42 million is nothing to skinnies at at all. That's a significant amount of money. And uh, if they can deliver on those 7,500 orders with that $42 million uh, uh, drawdown, that is a significant start in the right direction. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Kudos to these guys. That's, uh, that is good work on their part. Yeah, $42 million. I saw this thing last year. So when I actually take that back, 21, I saw this thing. Uh, they were, there's a company here doing a demo of it. It it still wasn't quite ready for prime time at that point, but they did have what sounded like. I mean, again, you're you're hearing this stuff. It could be, you know, two dudes in a double wide somewhere uh, in California. Who knows? But uh, a pretty robust team of programming staff, robotics folks, things like that that were uh, working to improve it. But it the in the basic stuff of like quality of cut and things like that, that's that's where it was kind of lacking. You know, not so much the the tech side, but implementing the tech. And so that'll be the that's gonna be the interesting thing with all this stuff. The seventy five hundred orders is awesome, but you know, not only can you build it, but you can you implement and support it because it's gonna take a lot of effort. A lot of effort. I'm, I mean, I'm seeing that up close right now with you know the other competitors in the market for what these guys are into and that is the biggest thing is the implementation piece is uh rough for a lot of folks so ray just saw how tall that warms i didn't even see what kind of grass that was but it was really fucking tall so ray was probably yeah. getting anxiety looking at that go back just a little bit. yes yes i mean i'm getting like major anxiety and again uh i had a interesting conversation Yesterday afternoon with my one of my sod grower friends. He and? was talking to me about yet another variety of zoysia being <laughs> rolled out in Hawaii. And I basically told him, no, it ain't going to work. <laughs> it ain't going to fucking work. Ray, see, that, and, that that's the thing is, I think all three of us could do this in our own separate ways, but. We should go on like Upwork or Fiverr or something like that. And just offer our services just to have, uh, you know, we'll get paid by the hour, you know, hundred, couple hundred dollars just to have tough conversations with people and tell them what they need to hear in a very, in our own well, personal ways. Matt calls you up, tells you get fucked, you know, <laughs> get fucked <laughs> and just goes off on you. Ray will tell you why it won't work and I'll do it with white gloves treatment. I, I, I can do that. I can very politely tell people to go fuck off. Hey, look at looking at some of these funds here. Uh, These are not small funds at all. This is major, major, major VC money behind these guys. So does that mean that they they can blow skirts up? Is that what you're? I think I think they are way more interested in the software piece of this um, than they are in the actual hardware piece of this. So Mm -hmm. I'm 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 curious how the um, you know, I, I'm curious how the, the implementation of the, the, the manufacturing of the parts, the, the assembly is going to take place because, uh, the, the people that are partnering heaviest on this are purely 
I, I mean, uh, this is this is big, big, big software money, uh, venture capital <laughs> money that's in here. So um, interesting to watch how this shakes out. It is without a doubt pretty cool. I see one uh, that plays kind of in this space with uh, with some some pretty decent um, uh, as, as a manufacturing type type systems, and that would be uh, ArcTurn, right? Uh, they are part of a very, very large biofuel company um, that takes uh, waste biomass into uh, converts it into into ethanol, and uh, so pretty pretty interesting. There, they have a they have a unique thermocatalytic process to be able to do that. So I don't know. It, it's definitely something I'm going to uh, to be uh, keeping an eye on. Um, real quick, just want to get this out here and say I want to uh, personally. Uh, thank everybody that helps us to be able to continue to do this. Uh, today's show is going to be brought to you by you guys, the patrons. Um, we have a ton of fun. We had, I, when you when you get onto the Discord and there's a new channel called the Library and you and you dip your head in and you, it just it all makes sense. <laughs> Everything is right Thanks in the world away. after after yeah, after the fact. You know that tells you it tells you that uh, it tells you where everything is. But more importantly is. You know, what we like to do is take the things that we get from uh, from being able to do this and, uh, and give back with it as well, too. You know, we care long care dot info was, uh, our, you know, obviously one of the one of the biggest, probably the biggest um, uh, raise for St. Jude from the long care community that's that's ever taken place. And, and we were happy to, to head that out. And even that number there of nine ninety two hundred dollars is, is deceiving because, you know, corporate um uh, matching started coming in after the fact we're well over 11 grand now and that's it's awesome it's still there and it's still live and we highly recommend you uh, share it with other content creators that don't even have to be in the in the lawn care space and ask them to do the same thing um and and they can do it exactly for the the travis feltner fund because he was the one who inspired us uh to be able to do what we do with our horrific low life fucking embarrassing uh embarrassment of a show that we have here and uh, and and so instead of instead of getting into an ego stroking contest, we said, you know what, we'll put our money where our mouth is, and there it is. Uh, so we thank all of y'all as well for allowing us to be able to do that. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash burner return. But but thanks for giving me an explanation. You know, look <laughs> that that was like that was the you know hey look we don't we don't we can be good people. We don't prefer to be good people because. <laughs> Because <laughs> we don't prefer, that should be our that should be our bumper sticker right there. That we put the hand out and we, go, we don't prefer to be good people. It's 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 we're capable of it, but you know, uh, the can, more important can, topics. It is it is it's a lot of yeah, effort and uh, and and so what we would rather do is you know, like our next upcoming segment here of Joe Knows Turf. Demay, talk to us about what Joe knows about turf today. Woo, well, I'll tell you what, uh, Joe's busy. Joe's Joe's getting after it, and uh, uh, one of his favorite people. His actually, you know, this is funny uh, that paths would cross like this. Uh, streams would streams? cross, swords would fight, whatever. I mean, who knows how <laughs> how's the, how these things get started in a truck stop battle? Dock it but, if you got it. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I had, yeah. I had to keep going. One for the library, right there. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's not a lift gate, sir. All right. Uh, so uh, this Kate. is uh, Joe's original love in turf grass. His very first one that he fell in love with and then very much fell out of love with. And I don't know. Maybe they're reconnecting. I'm not sure. So to that point, uh, let's go ahead and watch a video here uh, from Alan Hayne, the lawn care nut, and see what he's got going on today and how we might be able to help him. Update of everything that's been going on around here at LCNHQ. And the first thing we got to talk about are spiders. So I showed you Jump how I keep the these cleaned here. out of my let's, pool. Let's jump up to the lawn portion here, J. Pink. Slide on up there, past the pool plane. There we go. There we go. Let's talk go about Florida lawns real quick and what's going on here as we're coming through winter in these last two cold blasts. Now, you'll remember the frost line that I talk about in Florida. It's north of the I-4 corridor. And you all have lawns up there that pretty much go dormant every year for at least a couple, two, three months. Now, south of this line, we usually don't go dormant unless it's a super cold year. And then anywhere inside of that corridor, well, it's kind of hit or miss depending on the season. I'm over here in Bradenton on a west coast and just south of that frost line and being a little bit closer to the water, it stays pretty warm over here every year. So let's look at how my lawn is holding up with these last two cold blasts. First, let's take a look at the zoysia, and you can see it's got the tiger stripes from the cold. Now, Bermuda's mostly known for this, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Bermuda in a minute, but zoysia, which has a very similar growth habit, it has rhizomes and stolons, it kind of reacts the same way. However, this zoysia, it does have a lot of wild Bermuda scattered throughout, and what? that Bermuda <laughs> is for sure suffering from the cold. In fact, you can Pause. see here in my neighbor's Okay. So, the tiger stripe. Let's talk a little bit about... Uh... Warm season grasses under cold stress, right? So if you don't know and you're not, not privy to it, uh, right just before Christmas time, even down into uh, central Florida and even down to South Florida, it was pretty cold. I think they had frost even down in like Naples, uh, that far south. So uh, obviously this grass is, you know, a month past that. It's starting to come out of it a little bit. But part of what is, I, I guess, sort of telling here in the way that it's explained is that, hey, we've got zoysia here. And zoysia will hang on a little bit more in those colder temperatures. You're not going to see a tiger stripe. But here it is, tiger stripe. Hey, that doesn't make sense because of what was just said. And then we get the the, the explanation that, well, there's a lot of wild uh, Bermuda in here as well. So what I think we're seeing here, gentlemen, you correct me if I'm wrong, but we're looking at zoysia that's got Bermuda grass infested in it, right? Which if, if we want to have, you know, a single species in there, that would be advisable. But we don't. That's okay. That's how a lot of lawns exist down south, and that's fine. So, we've got dormant or very near dormant Bermuda grass, and our zoysia is hanging on. So, let's go ahead and proceed from here and see what's going on. Lawn, this is a huge patch of Bermuda that has gone completely tiger striped from the cold. The little bit of St. Aug that is in here is still green, but the Bermuda itself is checked out pretty good. All right, so if your zoysia got hammered like mine, stress blend is perfect right now. Potassium to help it. A little bit of nitrogen doesn't push it what? too hard. And, of course, it's got those nice micronutrients. So that's where we're at. Now, if you're currently dormant 100%, you got to wait I, until I, you're I, going. I, oh, wait, we got we to gotta, we gotta stop right there. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> by the way, Dan the Lawman, thank you for making that map, by the way. It, was, it actually helps put it into perspective for me because one of the things that I didn't learn until I was an adult was that there were Parts of the United States that did not receive frost. And let me tell you, it was shocking to me when I learned that for the first time. And, uh, and it, was, it was 
probably one of your maps over the years that ended up teaching that. <laughs> second of all, second of all, this is this is going to be great. Uh, we have a guest coming up on Thursday, Thursday, that I think I think uh, who is um, what what I would consider well researched in the uh, in the Florida market, um, and uh, and I would love to get their input on using potassium to rectify tiger striping. Uh, frost-induced tiger striping of warm season grasses. Um, now, gentlemen, I am not the most up-to-date with all the late, great breaking news on potassium because I know there's thousands of studies coming out every year about it. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, a couple, a couple notes to highlight here is, uh, gentlemen, to date, has there ever been a uh, a published study that you're aware of that showed a uh, a statistically significant response in turf grass color or quality uh, as a as a result of potassium fertilization. The answer to that would be no. It doesn't. Okay. Exist. No. Okay. Now, Second of all, no. hang on. I'm gonna I'm gonna play corollary fairy here. Uh, and and you know we we all know uh, causation does not does not equal correlation. Correlation doesn't equal causation, but I feel like this is close enough that if if A uh, does not produce B, right, therefore A should not produce C as well, um, assuming uh, that uh, B would uh, that C would be a function of B. So um, I, I, I someone would have to write that out. I'm I'm not in the state of mind to be able to put that on pen to paper. But if you if you hear what I'm saying there is that if we know that that uh, turf grass will not see a statistically significant uh, color response from uh, potassium fertilization. Why? Why in God's green earth? Will someone on this panel please explain to me why potassium is the appropriate choice to rectify uh, tiger striping in, uh, in, in frost-damaged warm-season grass? It's not. It's okay. not at all. Mm. And in fact, uh, the association, one of the, one association that has been found is, in fact, misuse or overuse of potassium in the fall aggravates wintertime and early spring diseases such as snow mold and spring yeah, dead spot. That. How's how's them apples, Matt? It, I did not know that about spring dead spot, uh, and that is that oh, is fascinating. You make it you make it worse. I mean, by applying it. You actually are making things worse because, uh, like, currently the recommendation is to feed your potassium throughout the growing season as needed, but do not load potassium in the fall and winter as a winterizer. Do not do that. Okay. Well, uh, and- maybe, maybe then, uh, what about, what about just throwing down a bunch of, uh, heritage G in the fall, um, starting in like December that I also learned on right. YouTube. Uh, I learned on YouTube right. that you okay. put, you put heritage G down in December for a uh, spring dead spot. Would, would that be, so say, Hey, I did, I did load a bunch of, of potassium, uh, trying to rectify my tiger striping. Um, and, uh, Oh, oh, okay. So Ray's telling me not to do that, but uh, I, you know, I may be inducing spring dead spot. But should I go ahead? I know it's December, January time. But can I go ahead and put down heritage G? That's good timing, right? 
No, wrong timing. Too late. Oh, okay. Because actually, okay. if you're going to be doing anything for Spring Dead Spot, uh-huh. your application literally needs to be in the late summer, early fall, uh-huh. when the grass is capable of uptaking your fungicide and your fungicides that are effective include the class of fungicides known as SDHI inhibitors, such uh, as uh, Lexicon, uh, Velista, Kabuto, uh-huh. or Exemplar. So and... what I'm hearing is that we are, <laughs> we are 0 for 2 on uh, YouTube recommendations here on, uh, <laughs> on, on appropriate management. I uh, demand keep, keep, keep us yeah keep us keep us walking off the cliff here because uh, I'm your lemming. <laughs> Is there, uh, never, oh, I can't say that that's terrible. Uh, the uh, gonna, nah, I I'll say that for the show. Um, so I, I think part of what might be happening here might uh, is that you know there is this uh, correlation between uh stress improvement and um you know k application and i think there's some major implications there that don't necessarily follow what the science show has to say and in that particular case right so here we're looking at you know the the old adages you know if you uh increase k applications on warm season turf early on in the fall, right? So again, we're sort of missing the window. It, doing it right now as that grass is dinged up or uh, you know, possibly even dormant. And I think he does say that. He does say in the video that if you're completely dormant, you know, wait. So I'll give him that, that, you know, I think he's trying to, you know, he understands the issues that might come from that. That being said, uh, you know, we've got studies going back 30 years, right, that show that, you know, K applications at this time, right, on dormant turf or, or even, turf that is you know past the point of like truly hardening off because of cold temperatures or something like that there's nothing to do uh nothing that's going to make it you know uh improve Better. anything like that from yeah. an agronomic perspective so mm-hmm. that all being said uh what's Time's left up, it's right? over. what's left what's the only other reason that somebody would say to do this they do want it. you to do buy it to their shit Ah, uh, <laughs> there it is. They want you to buy their shit. Inventory, no, no, nothing. Inventory liquidation. Got to make some room for some yeah. new product, right? So or, listen, I, Alan, I get it. I understand <laughs> it, but it's not good advice for a lot of reasons, and the science doesn't support that. And we know um, that we're all about science. We know that Joe, uh, you know, him and science are taking a break right now. You know, they'll hopefully they'll get back together, move back in together, and uh, we'll see what happens. But yeah. A good highlight here on uh, maybe not, you know, reaching for the bag or uh, the bottle, gentlemen, mm-hmm. when things get stressful. That should be the message, right? Yeah, don't reach for the bottle. And that applies you're in to Pittsburgh with, turf- with Tony Montana. Yeah. yeah you can reach for both of those. Not only things. to turf grass, yeah, but that's also a, a life lesson. Don't reach <laughs> for the bottle or other when things get stressful because. You're just going to be out a lot of money, and you are not going to improve your life circumstances. Well, just saying. in that regard, 
Thank you, Joe, for uh, keeping us up to snuff there on everything that's going on. And, uh, and I, I can't wait to see what we have next week. But until then, let's check out this week's Burns. Uh, Michael Chaley got a hold of Sheila in the library there and says, not, not sounding real hot. Boy, boy. Um, <laughs> that's a tandem dive right there. A real yeah. tandem dive. Yep. Tandem up there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oregon Grass Seed Company pleads guilty to defrauding J.R. Simplot Company. An Oregon grass seed company pleaded guilty and was sentenced on Tuesday for its role in a scheme to defraud another grass seed company and its former subsidiary. According to court documents, Ground Zero Seeds International pleaded guilty to one count of misprison of felony uh, and was sentenced to one year probation. The Yamhill, Oregon company was also ordered to pay a $40,000 fine and $516,000 restitution to J.R. Simplot. The Jacqueline Seed Company was a former subsidiary of Simplot. Court documents say that Ground Zero Seeds and its president and owner, Gregory McCarthy, had a long-standing relationship with the Jacqueline Seed Company, a subsidiary of Simplot, based in Liberty Lake, Washington. GZI and McCarthy contracted with Jacqueline for the purchase and sale of grass seed. The contracts were typically no- negotiated with Richard Durham, a former Jacqueline employee who oversaw the company's order fulfillment and warehousing operations in Oregon. He had the authority to purchase grass seed from certain Oregon growers over, the, over others. Starting back in 15. McCarthy and Dunham agreed that DZI would pay Dunham a per-pound kickback for grass seed purchased by Jacqueline. The kickbacks were built into the prices reflected on invoices to Jacqueline. Dunham artificially inflated the price Jacqueline paid for the seed or reduced the price at which Jacqueline sold the seed to GZI. The documents say to help conceal the scheme from Jacqueline, Dunham registered a separate business entity through which he purported to offer consulting and grass seed brokering services. Dunham used the company and a checking account in the company's name to accept kickbacks from GZI, McCarthy, and others. Between April of 2015 and September of 2019, McCarthy used GZI to pay Dunham approximately $191,790. Prior to GZI pleading guilty and being sentenced, a one-count superseding criminal information was filed charging the company with misprison of, uh, yeah, misprision, misprision, misprision? This prison need, uh, of a felony. Jesse, where you at? Jesse, help me out here. Uh, Dunham also pleaded guilty to two counts of conspiracy to commit wire fraud in July of 2022. He'll be sentenced in June of 2023. The Jacqueline saga continues. Actually, it looks like it's starting to wind down now. Pretty interesting. Yeah, right? yeah. Shook out. Yeah, some people get ready to go to federal found me in the ass prison, right? <laughs> uh, I, I don't think you're going to, I don't know that they'll go to maximum security or what the uh, it'll be interesting to see what the sentencing is but you know the the tough thing with all this gentlemen is that uh especially grass seed and sod we see this a lot with you know how much how much certified 419 sod matt and ray is really (laughs) truly certified 419 sod you know what i mean like it's the same thing coin flip you know grass yeah really coin flip grass seed actually uh you don't know what the hell is in the bag Here's my experience with sod is that I have experience with what I call blue paper sod. And you know what blue paper sod is? Nope. Okay, let me explain it to you guys. Blue paper sod is sod that has been certified by the licensor. 
to be the name variety and you as the purchaser are then enjoined from propagating or selling that sod once you've purchased it. Hmm. Yeah. Well, there you it, go. It's, <laughs> it's well, opposite for the people of that don't... the 419 that is common or some random mutant of Bermuda. It's opposite. <laughs> well, and for the folks that are scoring at home, you know, there was a lot of uh, different schemes that... Uh, these fellers were using and one of them was mm -hmm. uh basically saying hey we don't have enough of our most elite varieties uh based on the demand that we have so we're just going to take uh you know we're going to take a bunch of well liquor and put it in the uh you know the top shelf bottles gentlemen mm -hmm. and uh, we'll just sell them the top shelf <laughs> bottles it's 50 50 it's right. good enough nobody will ever know. <laughs> The law of averages work out in our favor. It's 85% germination rate. You'd carry the one, you'd subtract the two, and uh, yeah, it's Jack good Jack Daniels and Canadian Club. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, Yikes. boy. That, that'll I feel like waking up in a, in a, in a gutter after that. Uh, Colorado should kick lawns to the curb. Speaking of waking up in a gutter here, I feel like I did uh, with this absolute <laughs> doozy by Sammy Herdman here. Just an absolute joy to probably be around. I highly recommend you invite her to all your parties. I'm sure she would be the life of it. Uh, and just, just to put a little uh, perspective in here, she lives in Denver and takes full advantage of everything the outdoor industry has to offer. As a campaign associate for Environment Colorado, Herdman works to protect Colorado's resources for future generations. Because if it wasn't for the work of her, they certainly wouldn't be there. Uh, but over the course of the next seven years, an average of 35,000 housing units will be built each year in Colorado. If past trends persist, around 70% of those housing units will be single-family homes. From Fort Collins to Colorado Springs, it's likely that Coloradans will see more single-family suburban developments popping up, and with them, lawns. Conventional grass lawns ornament the vast majority of American homes covering three times as much surface area as irrigated cornfields in the United States. Although lawns are often purely aesthetic, sometimes they're chosen for their durability. Lawns hold up against cleats, dogs, and kids. Lawns used frequently for games and playtime are easy to justify, especially when they're public. But there are far too many cropped green lawns that are neglected until a weed sprouts up or it's time to mow. Too many lawns exist just for the sake of being maintained. Despite covering only 2% of land in the United States, most grasses can't survive in the West's arid climate without constant watering. Half of the water used by average single-family homes is devoted, is devoted to lawn care. Combined with water sprinkled on the parks, medians, golf courses, a whopping 25% of Denver's municipal water is devoted to lawns. Considering the western U.S. is in the midst of the most severe drought in a millennium, uh, allocating billions of gallons of fresh water to grass seems like an egregious misuse of resources. The drought is so dire that the Colorado River, which produces 40 million, uh, provides for 40 million people across western U.S. with water, has shrunk by 20% over the past 20 years. Lawn maintenance is also a threat to Colorado's pollinators and public health. Americans uh, use approximately 70 million pounds of pesticides to maintain lawns each, each year. Of the 30 most common lawn uh, pesticides, more than half are probable or possible carcinogens, Many of them are linked with birth defect, neurotoxicity, kidney damage, liver damage, and more. Uh, in Colorado cities and towns such as Colorado Springs, the glyphosate-based herbicide known as Roundup is sprayed on lawns and public parts despite being a possible carcinogen. I, I, all right, it's going to go on and on. This lady hates her guts. Um, and this is, I mean, this is just, okay. 
we've okay, we've heard it I, once. We've heard it a hundred times. Well, this is a conversation that uh, carried over from before the show a little bit in terms of, uh, you know, they're pushing this. And uh, there was another article that was sent to us about Las Vegas and how they're making moves so that all, uh, what is it, Ray? Non-essential or non-functional non turf, you know, so roadsides, yeah, rights of ways, things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, here's the thing I don't understand is that they want to have it at parks and everything like that, but like, isn't it somewhat defeating the purpose that you're going to have to like, you know, get in your car and drive to a park where you're going to have to uh, take, you know, go out on your rocks and play catch with your son or daughter or, you know, mm -hmm. spouse or whatever, like mm -hmm. take your dog out on, uh, on, you know, rocks or some Missouri escape that's, you know, hundreds of degrees, Ra you know, uh, Ryan, I have an, I have an yeah. answer to this. I have an answer to this problem. And you know what that is? This lady needs to be part of the solution and move her bitchy ass to where there's actually water. Okay? She needs to be what? part of the solution. And because here's what chaps my ass about all of these environmental activists. They are always telling other people what they should be going without or giving up. They should always, they're always doing that, Ryan. They're telling, now they're telling people you have to give up your lawns. And did we not talk about this before where in actual practice, maintained turf grass areas do have an ecological and environmental benefit because what happens when you replace natural maintained irrigated grass with say either astroturf or rock what happens ryan i i i see i get the water piece when it all comes down to However, it there's there's a lot yeah. more bad things i see on the other side yeah 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 what happens ryan when you when you take away all the grass and it gets replaced with either rock or astroturf what actually happens in the local environment, I mean, oh, like me, temperatures like me, go down. You know, temperatures go up. <laughs> Microplastics oh. enter, the, <laughs> enter oh. during enter the, the water season. stream, mm. and then oh, and speaking of water stream or waterways, when you no longer have grass or vegetation, a lot of your pollutants and contaminants then run right into the waterways unfiltered and that is for example the reason mm. why in hawaii there is yeah. literally a mandate or a dictate to maintain vegetation over every possible square inch of dirt we have that we have that dictate to try to mitigate or minimize the amount of pollutants or contaminants that run off into the water So I, I think that's what Sammy, you know, needs to realize. And we'll talk a little bit about this more. Uh, we've got a couple other headlines that are, are interesting about, you know, be careful what you wish for. So that's all I'm going to say here is that, you know, it, slow down the development. You know, it, if there's ways to do this, you know, build you know, smaller or not smaller, but I should say, you know, turf areas that are green spaces within these developments, do something, right? Just don't take away a lawn and then make people have to go to a school or a park or something like that to 
actually mm-hmm. use grass for its intended purpose, which is recreation, but also the forget about the functional aspects of turf and what they are. So, yeah, boys, it's going to be uh, fast and furious out there in the West. I think it's going to be, uh, like I said, a, a lot of this stuff, a lot of unintended consequences that come down the pike, and then we'll probably flip back in 20 or 30 years the other way around. In, in in the vein of unintended consequences, let's go ahead and check out this week's returns because, buddy, uh, you 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 teabagged me. Oh, wait, was that? I think I said it incorrectly. You teed me up for a good one here. I think I was uh, I was a Freudian. Slip. I mean, we we could no, yeah. <laughs> this week's returns. La, la, Right off the corner, right off the edge. Just lean back. There you go. Uh, lean back. Lean back. Uh, ban on oh, pesticides man. with PFAS feeds concern about unintended impacts. Well, well we were just, golly, domain. It's like, it's like you took a, you took a peek into the future and, uh, and, and your unintended consequences was all of a sudden beginning to come to fruition. I, and this is just in one particular segment here, but again, it's something worth uh, the worth uh, dissecting. Maine is the first state in the nation to ban pesticides that contain forever chemicals, a law that could have forced more than 1,300 pesticides to be taken off the market here. In some fear, the loss of about one of every 10 pesticides that can be sold here will have unintended consequences for Maine farmers and consumers. The ban doesn't kick in until 2030, but manufacturers are facing a key disclosure deadline that could hasten the market departure of some pesticide makers who conclude the cost of the testing needed to comply with this month's reporting mandate outweighs the profits that can be made here. This has some Maine farmers, including some of its 300 certified organic farmers, worried they soon won't be able to defend their crops from pests or blights, uh, said Julianne Smith of the Maine, uh, Maine Farm Bureau. There is already a very limited selection of certified organic pesticides. No organic pesticide maker is going to do PFOS testing for $5,000 a year in annual sales. They're going to say, hell no, Maine's not worth it, and move on, leaving Maine farmers, especially organic farmers, without the tools we need to get our food to market. With their competition eliminated, pesticide makers that stay in the Maine market will probably raise prices, adding to the financial burden already facing farmers dealing, uh, already facing farmers dealing with increased labor and fertilizer costs. Uh, Smith said, farmers are also spending money to test fields, crops, and water for PFAS. If Maine farmers can't get their products to market, consumers will lose access to fresh, locally produced food. She pointed to studies that showed fresh food packs a mightier nutrient punch than food trucked in from out of state, which can take weeks instead of days to reach consumers. And it's not like the food that will take its place on local tables will be safer for uh, Mainers to eat, she said. Farmers in other states that don't have bans on PFAS and pesticides will step in to overtake that market, hurting Maine farmers without providing a health benefit to Maine consumers. Uh, but again, we've got until 2030 to figure this out. Uh, but, uh, you know, for right now, it's, uh, it's kind of, uh, I'd say that the panic is setting in. Uh, and you may be asking, you know, what uh, pesticides are manufactured with PFAS as part of a, uh, a formulating agent. And as of right now, none. Uh, that that is by the the wayside. That's no longer being done. But what does end up happening is uh, the various solvents and shit that you find uh, as uh, form formulation agents uh, that are mixed with uh, with pesticides and then go into a plastic container. And the plastic container contains what? Well, 
PFAS. And uh, all of a sudden, PFAS. it makes its way into the pesticide and by proxy into the crop itself. Thus, that old organic uh, tomato or broccoli head or asparagus that you're eating turned out might have the same level of PFAS contamination, if not greater, than uh, your conventionally grown crop. Uh, and, uh, and sorry, it's, it's really the only thing anybody can say right now is like, oops, my bad. And I'm sure that's a very comfort thing, comforting thing to hear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, here's the thing is that uh, they have used this like loophole, essentially. I guess you call it a loophole. That, hey, we're not banning pesticides. We're banning the containers, right? That uh, we're banning PFAS in general, right? Which then affects all the containers. Or about 70% of those have some form of PFAS in them, right? And to that extent, just like what they're saying here, you know, with the testing that's going to be required to pass muster in the state and get your your product registered, even if it is an organic or a 25B or a natural, whatever, all that stuff, like, I can't believe. No, I can. You're right. No, I can't. I can believe that there would be unintended consequences from banning something, right? And not thinking through what is going to take place here. So. You know, I feel bad for these farmers in the sense, Ray, that I don't think that they probably pushed for this necessarily. Maybe they did. I don't know. I, I think no, I'm sure that they were did, fine I don't with think they pushed, doing their thing. Yeah, I, I put, they pushed for this. What I think happened is some do-gooder uh, decided to do even more and okay, here's my position on PFAS. I think that if we know that something has like a high amount of PFAS, such as biosolids or sewage sludge, Mm -hmm. by all means, monitor it. However, if it's a matter of incidental amounts of PFAS, we got to ask ourselves, is it worth it? And I also have to ask, okay, is this even a problem? Is this even a problem? I mean, because you see, my beef and why I am so damned anti-government is because it seems that government is always looking for solutions in search of a problem. They can't help themselves. They're always doing it. And I operate on the principle of if it is not an issue right now, if it's not causing a problem, leave it the fuck alone. Let it go. There's bigger fish to fry, bigger problems to solve, and and actual problems to solve. I mean, yeah. my God, if I were in that, if I were in that state, my God, I would be starting a campaign to vote out whoever proposed it. <laughs> okay, I'd want their ass out of office. They'll, be, they'll probably be uh, president of the United States when uh, when this finally goes into effect. So don't have to worry about that, Ray. We have to all take care. Of. I think the the greater point here is, and I'll just ask you, gentlemen, real quick is. 
you know, do we need to learn more about PFAS? We know that they're forever chemicals, and I'm not saying that we should. I, I, I well, maybe I don't know. Do you invest and give people, you know, the opportunity to, you know, make non PFAS containers and chemicals and all that kind of stuff, and let technology catch up? And what do you do in the meantime? Again, it's this whole velocity of change thing, right? So, I, I'm not, I'm asking because I don't know. I haven't thought much about it, but. You know, Ryan, do we just say, hey, hey, well, we're going to do the best we can until we figure something better out or you know, do you just thing. start out on the stuff? Here's the thing is that I'm going to show my age, but I remember when a lot of pesticides and products, liquid products, for example, guess what they came in? Either hmm. one or five gallon metal cans or they came in glass bottles. That's how they were packaged back in the day. No plastic. And in fact, personally, I'm not in favor of plastic. And of course, I'm looking at, for example, how a lot of these pesticides and products are packaged in Asia. I'm envious because those guys use Get this one. Aluminum bottles from one liter all the way down to 125 milliliter. Oof. Not plastic. Well, uh, like I said, there's, there's got to be a reckoning at some point with. We have to we have to get rid of this stuff like it's not it, it's in nobody's best interest to continue to use it. But what's it going to take to get there? And as Matt said, the the. The industry is littered at all points of manufacturing with this stuff, and we're not the only ones, too. I mean, that's the other part that I think is is mm -hmm. interesting. Is I, I wonder. And, and, oh, the cabins and, of your car, your tractor, yeah, everything, your say, coat hangers. You're <laughs> inundated with it. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's literally everywhere. And uh, okay, fun fact, guys. The other common source of PFAS is the stain and water repellent treatment applied to carpet and upholstery. You know, Scotchgard? Mm. Mm. Yeah. That is a PFAS. <laughs> you know, Stain Master? That's a, that's a PFAS right there. And so it's everywhere. <laughs> It is going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out, and uh, I don't know. I'm I I have no idea what is going to be in store in the next ten years, Time's especially if they can start showing some uh, causative data uh, over over long periods of time as as to uh, proliferation of things in society now that we are not exactly sure of how it came to prevalence, um, and you know has uh, the uh, the predominance of 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 PFOS been the causative agent that we haven't been able to figure out where we may have been pointing at oh it's uh seed oils or oh it's uh it's it's diet or oh it's uh it's it's glyphosate well and in turn maybe it's that our lives are all completely run on plastic and somehow that's managed to find its way into our bloodstream in some form or fashion you never know you never know and i and and you know that's that's going to be a pivotal piece to see how all this really starts to send everybody Jeez. into the atmosphere mm -hmm. 
Um, Tennessee, <laughs> the good old University of Tennessee, uh, I love these guys, has done what I said needed to be done a long fucking time ago. And that is they have developed and launched the UT Certified Lawn Care Professional Program. And uh, and, and so this is a, an introductory level online program for people that are interested in golf turf, uh, sports turf, and lawn care. It's targeted towards everyone from industry newcomers to experienced turf grass professionals seeking supplemental education. It's a uh, it's on your own terms type of course. Uh, it's going to take 15 to 20 hours to complete, and it's going to be through a series of seminars and, uh, and uh, on- online teachings. And uh, and it's going to cover everything that you basically could, could need, and especially moving into um, uh, 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 today's day and age of uh, uh, turf grass identification, turf grass selection, soil fertility. And I think turf grass selection, it's selection especially, especially in places of the transition zone where culturally we were so ass backwards on what we're choosing to install. Um, soil fertility, uh, water management, planting and establishment, weeds, diseases, insects, pests, pest management and a maintenance operation well how about them apples that's a definitely a good one to cover and this will give you a certification that's going to be valid for two years and then they re- recommend you re-up it every two years and it's 250 bucks that's approachable uh and then if you look at the names of the people who have put this together i mean these are absolute powerhouses of of guys that we have going on right now there's a there's uh, the jim, stars <laughs> jim brosnan yeah. sorokin horvath yep. uh, dr tom samples <laughs> If you probably don't remember putting this together, but damn it, he put a lot of heart into it. That is without a doubt. I love Tom Samples with all my heart. Uh, Natalie Bumgarner, uh, Christopher Cooper, Kylie Dickinson. Kylie Dickinson is is super badass, um, it, and and you know you don't see his name out there a lot right now. But as far as uh, doing a lot of his work with uh, head injuries on uh, on uh, artificial turf, um, you know that was that he, he's always playing in that space right now. I can give you a shit ton of data on it uh, at the. And, and just can walk you around the research facility and just like bring you up to stuff and scare the holy shit out of you pretty instantaneously. It's a great guy. <laughs> just an awesome addition to, uh, to the university there. Anna Duncan, Justin Stefanski, uh, Mitchell Moe, Tyler Reeder, Seth Whitehouse, Jason Garrett, Tyler Carr, Ben Pritchard, and Jose Vargas. Uh, anyway, uh, 250 bucks. It's a, it's, a, it's a nice playing field. And you know what? This is designed to accomplish exactly what needed, needs to be accomplished right now. And that's to... Uh, you know, button up our our uh, our weakest links in the industry and try to provide a standard that you know you know that if you have this certification, that means that you have uh, you know you know a, you have a, accomplished a certain level of threshold of in industry knowledge. And so, kudos to well, UT, always thinking. Hell yeah! Yeah. What do you, what do you what do you think of there? Oh no! Uh, oh. oh no! I was just going to say I was just going to say that. Uh, there's a lot of folks I think that probably have uh, somewhere between a lackluster and no training program, and what better way to jump on board than $250 on the easy button to get some world class education to get uh, yourself, your team, your tech, whoever uh, certified and up to snuff, uh, and have man the, the 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 biggest brand and turf, the only place that would accept and graduate one Matthew Martin. Uh, from their turf grass program it's the one and only ut knox god bless them go get you some. uh for the last return um can you can you help i don't quite understand here demay uh I, I wanted to jump to the one that you threw in the chat here so i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna let you oh take no, no 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 it's it's the same thing it's the same thing it's the same thing oh oh okay so, okay, yeah, okay yeah go to the article go to the article and then we'll jump over to the link i sent over 
All right. Uh, NFL playoff games be played on Ohio State's uh, turf grass. No. According to OSU, the Philadelphia, who? Oklahoma State. Oh, fuck. It's Tahoma 31. I see it now. Sorry. I saw OSU (laughs) in the. uh, No. I am not reading the the other top line. I'm scrolled down. And then I see OSU's Tahoma 31. And I was like, oh, shit. It was right about the same time you said that. Uh, Oak State's Tahoma 31 overseeded with ryegrass. The Eagles versus the 49ers at Lincoln Financial Field. Uh, good, good stuff there. And you know, what we're seeing is that more and more of this, uh, uh, durable Bermuda grass and showing up in areas that are not necessarily known for being able to, uh, to support Bermuda grass. And not only is it supporting Bermuda grass, it's supporting it well, uh, and is providing a playing surface that, uh, ultimately, uh, produces, uh, you know, hopefully all the things we want to see fewer injuries. Uh, better games and uh, happier players at the end of it all. So uh, uh, shout out to those guys. Uh, then, hey, how about that? And then Joe, I, I I feel good for Joe. You know, we're recording this Sunday night, so the Eagles just won. So happy for Joe. And uh, look at, I'm also happy. Go down, look at budget lawns, Travis, my dude. I don't even know if you're being facetious, and if you are, I don't care. <laughs> See what I did there, but uh. Look at thanks science. So you're playing on these fields. You're seeing these beautiful natural grass fields in January, late January in Philadelphia and Kansas City because gentlemen of science. So science. No, no. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hang on. Hang on. I got to highlight the thanks mother nature there. And and let me let me tell you, Tahoma 31 was not an accidental discovery. Uh, uh, so, you know, <laughs> no. uh, while while I. I love the oversimplification there that, you know, Mother Nature just completely ripped this one right out of the rectum and threw it in the ground over there. And, and we should all <laughs> cheer and high five. Uh, that is not what happened. Uh, this is uh, uh, tons and tons and tons of research, data gathering, modifications, breeding um, of, of the most skilled and forward thinking people this industry has to offer. And so to dumb that down. And say that the uh, the round of applause applies to to Mother Nature as well. That I, I'd say that's why you're now Waterboy Productions from instead of uh, instead of uh, the Organic Lawn Warrior just started out. So anyway, love you, Joe. You know, you know, Matt, Tahoma Thirty One at the playoff and Super Bowl field was kind of exactly what my sod grower and I were talking about. Uh huh. And my sod grower, he was all hyped up. He said. Hey, you think that because there's all this publicity for the Toma 31 that then people will start using more Tahoma 31 here in Hawaii? And I said, yeah, not a chance, not a chance. Oh, no. Ray always bringing people back down to earth. Ray is always only in Hawaii. (laughs) Only in Hawaii would people, people be too fucking stupid. (laughs) <laughs> do not use anything other than Elterozoitia. Okay, We're going to leave you on that note. Uh, we love you all. <laughs> We're going to go hang out with the patrons and let them choose the title of this, of this week's episode. And uh, I'll probably throw some more cheap shots at uh, Hawaii as a whole. Uh, love you all. Catch you on <laughs> Thursday. By the way, we got Jay Bartle coming up this Thursday. Uh, and then after Jay Bartle, uh, boy, it's gonna it's gonna start to get wild as hell. Actually, I think I think Jay Bartle is gonna get wild. I think that's he's he <laughs> will be the catalyst 
for the uh, the canceling of uh, of uh, 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 Thirsty Thursday all all together. <laughs> and I can't I can't wait. I really look forward to it. And I mean that. Love y'all. Bye. Peace. Bye. <laughs>